0: Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 16. 1 Samuel, chapter 16. And I'm grateful you've chosen to come to worship with us today and what great things are happening. We believe here on this campus and beyond. You know, just this weekend, a lot of our youth are gone to Princess and Warrior Weekend. Now, when I first came here, I heard them say Princess Warrior Weekend, and I thought it was some type of Zena Warrior Princess kind of stuff. But it's Princess and Warrior Weekend that uh, a lot of our youth are attending. You heard Dale mention that a moment ago, and uh, I've already gotten a few reports back. Uh, John texted me and told me that we had had at least one salvation this weekend where the youth have been gone. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. What a wonderful thing that was, an excitement to know that God can work in any way and just use us in that plan, in that ministry work, and we're so grateful. So pray. They all said that, but let me just encourage you to pray. They'll be back tomorrow, and there's still plenty of time for God to work in these young lives. So I hope that you would just uh, join me in praying for that effort that is there. Well, I am so grateful God has a plan for us. Last week, we talked a little bit about that. Like, even when we can't see the plan, we believe that God has a plan. King David, 1 Samuel chapter 16. David was out in the fields keeping sheep. He never could imagine that this moment was going to come in his life. He didn't see it coming in any way. It was just like one day he was sent far. He went into his dad's uh, home. He went into this place of sacrifice. And there was the prophet waiting to anoint him as the king of Israel. I am so grateful God has a plan for us. But I tell you that after we know the plan, sometimes it grows even more difficult of knowing how to fulfill the plan. So understand this with me. We could affirm that God has a plan for us. And there are times when God will reveal that plan specifically to our lives. He'll say, this is what I want you to do. But then carrying it out can be difficult. Why? Because of the timing that's involved, because of how God wants us to go about this. Sometimes it raises just as many questions about how we are to move forward as it solves. So I want to share with you today from 1 Samuel chapter 16, after David knows that he's going to be the king, after he's anointed, I want to show you how God will work in his life and how God will teach him to Wait to wait. I want you to see this beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player of the harp. It shall be that he will play It with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them to his son, his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Well, you know, after you have an anointing, you would expect a coronation, right? I mean, you've been anointed king. What is the next step in the process, in the plan? The next step logically would be a coronation event. If you've just been named the king of Israel, you've been anointed the king, then you would think there would be a lot of pomp and circumstance. There would be this great ceremony of calling all of the people of Israel together to recognize their new leader. But that is not what we're given here in this text. It's just kind of like they just nonchalantly move along, right? Like the narrative just kind of shifts to something else. We, we have... David, he's anointed. Samuel obviously goes back to his home. And where does David go? What does David do after he's anointed king? Well, he doesn't get all his friends together and celebrate his anointing. He he doesn't go and make all the preparations to be king. I, I love the way Chuck Swindoll. Some of you know that he is one of my favorite preachers Biblical commentators that you'll find. I mean, he can really get down into the scripture, and yet he can make it so practical for us. And Chuck Swindoll says this about young David. He said, He did not go down to the nearest department store and try on crowns. He didn't order a new set of business cards telling the printer, Change it from shepherd to king elect. He didn't have a badge saying, I'm the new man. He didn't shine up a chariot and race through the streets of Bethlehem yelling, I'm God's choice. You're looking at Saul's replacement. He didn't do that. I would even say to you, he he just went back to the sheep. that, That should be telling to us. I mean, he's been anointed king. He's going to be the next king. And what does he do? He says, Hey guys, I know we've had a great ceremony here today, and I know there have been a lot of things that we've talked about, and I know one day I'm going to be king, but I got sheep back in the field. I got to get back, and I've got to take care of my sheep. My sheep need a shepherd. I got to get back. I think it speaks volumes because when they send for David, he is with the sheep. I want to give you two truths today, okay? Now, I want you to hear this. Even when we know God's plan for our lives, even when He has revealed it so clearly that this is what He wants to accomplish, there are moments when we need to wait while He works. Think of this just a moment. God calls us to wait while He works. Now, God is always working. David has found this out. David realized that when he did not know these great conversations that were going on between God and Samuel, when he didn't know those things were going on, they were still going on. God was still working without David even realizing it. And now David knows that God is going to continue to work. And what is David doing? David just waits. David didn't say, you know what? We need to get up. Kings kids club together and I'm gonna help I I want their support as they help me become king of Israel He didn't start a youth movement You know like hey we we're tired of these older generations like Saul leading us We need a youth movement that will lead us into the kingship. He didn't start circulating petitions Around Bethlehem and the country saying we need a new king. We need to recall the one we have now He didn't do any of those things He just went back to the field. Isn't it amazing how we think so often God needs our help to fulfill that plan? I mean, there's so often we know what God wants us. We know that God is going to maybe make us this king or put us in this position. But we feel that we have to help him out by doing whatever is necessary to become king. But I have found in my own personal life. That we must fulfill God's will, God's way, in God's timing. It's just as important for us to make sure that we are walking with Him and we are obeying Him daily in His will. It's just as important as it is to see the end result of being in this position or finding ourselves as king. It is so important... That we walk in the right way and that we fulfill it just as God wants us to. And sometimes we just have to wait. I think this is extraordinary for a young man like David to have the maturity to wait. I mean, David, I believe, is somewhere between 10 and 13. He could be as old as 15 or 16. But he has the maturity to say, you know what? I'm just going to wait on this. I know what God has said, but I'm just going to wait and let him work this out. I think that's incredibly mature. Because remember Moses at the age of 40 did not quite have that maturity. Remember back to Moses? Moses at some point comes to this self-awareness that he is the the deliverer of Israel. I, I believe that while he's in the palace... He begins to identify with his Hebrew brothers and sisters and he believes himself to be in a position to lead them out. I, I'm convinced as I look at scripture that he feels like and he knows that he's the deliverer. So what does he do? In so many ways, he takes things in his own hands. And when he, is see, when he sees one of his fellow Hebrews beaten, he decides that he will kill this Egyptian taskmaster. That's what he does. And all indications, all indications is that Moses thought when he began this rebellion or this revolt, that the Hebrew people would all rally around him and they would follow him against the Egyptians. (coughs) Didn't turn out like that though, did it? Even the Hebrews began questioning him. Oh, what are you going to do to us? Who made you the prince? Who made you the great deliverer? Because Moses decided that he would fulfill God's destiny his way. Instead of following God in his way. See, that's what we do so often. So often we know, okay, this is what God wants us to do. But we can't wait on His accomplishing it through us in our lives, we just want to move the ball. How many of us like waiting? I mean, come on. I mean, how many of us get up in the morning and say, I hope I have the opportunity to wait today? No. A lot of times we have schedules, we have these moments where we have to be here and there. We're not thinking about waiting. We're thinking about how we can just get everything in for the day. We just want want to cut straight to the chase. We want to make sure that we have just moved on in our agendas and in our lives. We don't like to wait. None of us do. We want to help God out. Timing is so important though, isn't it? Timing is so important. Ask guys like, John, I would say, Carlos Correa, or Jose Altuve, or old George Springer. Ben, I would name some St. Louis Cardinals, but we don't have anybody I can hit, all right? Think about them and the timing it takes, that they have to have the rhythm to hit the ball at just the right time. Timing's everything. Timing is so important in our conversations. Timing is important with having certain conversations with certain people. We know that. We live in this life. We recognize that timing is everything. And in God's plan, timing is still everything. You can know God's plan, but you must move according to His timing. You let God work. Certain things out. Don't push it. Don't press it. Just let God take care of those things. I mean. Remember David has been anointed. But there is still a king in office. How will he deal with that? How will he work through this process? He will let God take care of those things. It's amazing how God does just take care of things, doesn't he? How God just kind of works. We talked a little bit last week about those conversations we never know about. and How God is just working in the background when we're just about our business. I remember just my trek to the state of Louisiana and how, how God was working and I didn't even realize it. and In so many ways, didn't want to recognize it. I loved where I was. And I uh, didn't want to recognize what he was doing. But I was pastoring this uh, church down in Picayune, this church, Pine Grove Baptist Church. I'd been there about five years. And I loved it. It was incredible. God was just giving us a spirit of revival there at the church. And we had seen people saved, we, we had seen the attendance just increase. And, and it was just, it was humbling and it was exciting. I had. I had my treasure, think of this. I had my treasurer approach me and talk about building a new building when your tight treasurer comes to you and says he wants to build something else, Yes to. you know God is moving. I knew that God was working in so many different ways. So I walked into an office one day at New Orleans Baptist Seminary into the office of Dr. Reggie O.J and Dr. O.J was a professor there. I graded for him in the pastoral ministry area. And Dr. OJ said to, said to me, he said, Hey, Reggie, he said, You know, I'd like to get a resume from you. I said, Yeah, really? He said, Yeah. He said, I've got this church that I'm interim at right now, and I'd like to put your name in. And I said, Well, that's awesome, Dr. OJ, but I am happy where I am. I'm, I mean, God is just doing great things, and, you know, I'm just, I'm good. I don't, I don't really want to put a resume in anywhere else. So about a month went along, walked in Dr. OJ's office. Dr. OJ said, "Hey Reggie," he said, "Um, "I really need to get that resume from you. You know, I asked you about a month ago for that resume uh, to be able to turn into the church that I'm interim pastor at." And I said, "Yeah, Dr. OJ, you remember I I told you I am so happy where I am. It is awesome. It is great, and I really don't want to turn the resume in." And Dr. OJ looked at me and he said, "Reggie, I think you're forgetting." Who the professor is in this professor-student relationship. I think you're forgetting that. And you will bring me a resume. And I said, yes, sir, absolutely. Exactly the way you said that, I'll have you a resume. I came home, told Leslie, and Leslie was like, where is the interim? And I said, I don't know. I didn't want to ask. She said, you don't know where he is. I said, no, I don't want to. He's in Louisiana. I don't want to know. I'm a Mississippi boy. I'm not going to Louisiana. I'm going to stay right in the state of Mississippi, you know? And then, of course, some weeks later, I received this little um, note in the mail. It it included in this packet a survey asking me if I would fill out the survey and I would work through it on behalf of First Baptist Church of Zachary, Louisiana. Of course, worked through that. Remember, held it for a week. I think it was supposed to go in that Friday back in the mail. They need it back. And I held it till then. Turned it in that Friday or into the mail. I remember that afternoon, George Wells, the search committee chairman, called me. James Basilio, the deacon chairman, called called me as well and said, Hey, uh, Brother Reggie, are you going to send that back? I said... Well, I just got it in the mail today. And they said, good. And then, of course, God just worked all those other things out. Now, I'm not against sending resumes, okay? I'm not against that at all. Sometimes God wants us to turn in certain things in certain places. He'll lead us, okay? But what I'm saying to you is, God just has a way sometimes of working, doesn't he? Notice here, and we're going to get more into this music part of it but notice in this passage it's just somebody some way in the court here of Saul has heard about the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite and he says you know what I've heard about this guy and you ought to look you ought to look there it's amazing how God just kind of knows how to work right Hey, just works while we wait. Dwight, I think y'all got my resume when you met with me the first time, right? I remember walking out and you saying, hey, by the way, do you have a resume? God knows what he's doing. We have to wait. We cannot push things. We cannot press things. Sometimes for God's will and God's purpose... We've just got to stop and wait. we got to go back to the field and we got to keep the sheep. we got to do what God has called us to do. Think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus knew timing was everything. He knew exactly when he would die. He knew exactly God's plan for his life. Oftentimes Jesus would say something to the effect, My hour has not come. It's not the right timing. When Satan tried to press him into making certain decisions, tempting him to skip the cross, is the way I identify some of those temptations in the wilderness, when he's wanting him to claim his Messiahship at that moment and skip the cross, which was so necessary for our salvation, Jesus would have nothing to do with it. When his friends would try to encourage him In certain areas to do things that were outside of God's timing. He would have nothing to do with it. When his mama comes to him and says, Hey, they have run out of this wine for this wedding. You can do something about it. Do something. I think this is incredible. Jesus would not even allow the influence of mama. That's a pretty heavy influence, by the way, right? A mama to rush him. I say to you that we must be committed to God's will, but we've got to be committed to doing it his way and waiting in his time, waiting for him to perform his will. So we wait while he works. Let me give you this second truth, okay? We work. We work while we wait or you work while you wait now that seems so contradictory right I mean you just said wait while he works and now you're telling me to work while I wait that just seems so contradictory no it's not it's not whatsoever you know God has called us to wait but to work at the same time For example, if you look at Paul and his letter to the Thessalonians, actually the first and the second letter to the Thessalonians, you will note in the first letter he says, Hey, Jesus is coming. Get ready. And here they are. They hear the word and they begin to wait. And then in the second letter, what does Paul have to say to them? He has to say to them, Well, first of all, you misunderstood me about some of this coming of Jesus, so I'll flesh out a little more for you. But then he also says... You need to be working while you wait. And he speaks to them very seriously, very clearly. Because what had they done? They they just sat down and said, Well, Jesus is coming any day. There's no reason for me to do really anything. I just kind of sit down and wait on Jesus. You know? So I'm afraid sometimes when I tell you that you have to wait... You all of a sudden think, well, I haven't got to do anything. Oh, yeah, you've still got to work. You've got to work while you wait. God's the one that's overseeing this plan, and God is bringing all these things together. But what you are to do in that process is that you are to be faithful right where God put you, and you are to work as he has called you in those positions. Again, David has gone back to the sheep. He's keeping the sheep. Can you imagine? If we had, a bit, if we had a just been told again that we were the, going to be the king of Israel, when we had gone back to the sheep, or if, even if we had gone back out there, we would have thought, man, this is such a menial task. I mean, I've got to be out here with these stinking sheep. I mean, how much more lowly do you get than taking care... Of sheep sheep they don't have the largest brain obviously right they are smelly creatures I had one of them when I was smaller did you know that Reggie had a little sheep <laughs> when I was younger I don't even know how the sheep came to be in my house but it was the little sheep. I didn't know any better. Sometimes I would, like, put a little rope around him, and I would, like, drag him across the... Not drag. Not drag. Walk him across the yard. I mean, it was kind of cool. It was cool that I had this little sheep. And I did. I loved that little sheep. And But that little sheep smelled. And he was not the smartest creature I'd ever had. He was smarter than a cat. But maybe not as... Smart as a dog. Amen. He, David goes back and he takes care of the sheep. Because our God values our faithfulness in the small things. Before you can become king, you have to realize you've got to take care of the sheep. Before I'm going to place you in such lights, you've got to understand that you must be faithful even in the obscure areas of life. It is the New Testament principle that if we are faithful in the few, God will give us, he will give us great responsibility. He will give us more to demonstrate our faithfulness in. It is the New Testament principle. David just goes back and he's keeping sheep. He is taking care of the job that God had given him. That's what I'm saying is when you wait for God to do these wonderful, great things in your life, while you're doing that, you need to be out being faithful in the small things. Nothing should be too menial for us. I've known folks, unfortunately, through the years I went to seminary with... Who would say, well, you know what? I'm going to wait till I get in a really good church. They were talking about a big church. I'm going to get in there and then that's that's where I'm going to... You go always where God has called you. No matter what the size of the situation or the place, you go and you demonstrate your faithfulness and you give it all even in those moments. Because God is looking at our faithfulness in the small things. God values it. Hey, look at this passage again. He was with the sheep, and now is being called to play music, to play a harp, to soothe the soul of the king. The scripture here says that Saul has this distressing spirit that comes upon him. Because of his rejection of God, yes, he has been disobedient, and because of that, the spirit of the Lord has now left him. Now remember, this is Old Testament, okay? Old Testament. New Testament, the Spirit of God comes to live within the believer, and he never leaves us. But this is Old Testament. And outside of David and John the Baptist, they're the only two that I see in Scripture before Pentecost that has the Spirit always in their lives. Saul, the Spirit of God, departs because of his unfaithfulness. A distressing spirit comes to him. The people in his court, they note that. They know Saul's not the same. Something is wrong. And they say, maybe we need to get somebody to play some music for you. You know, music can be soothing, can't it? In the ancient times, they believed it did bring some type of healing, especially mentally and Spiritually, oh, it's, music can be so soothing. I mean, just think of the soothing voices of the past, kind of like a Perry Como, Dean Martin. You've heard, yes, yeah, some of you around back then, Frank Sinatra, or or even even like Harry Connick Jr., Michael Bu- Buble, Jeremy Asher, Chris Albright. You know, just the soothing voice—it's there. He says, "You need to get somebody to come in and play the harp." They find, they find David. David leaves the field. So get this—he leaves the field to play the harp. Now, I am not—I've uh, got to frame this very well so I don't hurt Jeremy or Chris's feelings. Okay. There's nothing wrong with being a minister of music. Right? But when you're supposed to be king and you get the minister of music gig, it kind of feels a little weird. (laughs) Could you say that? Okay. He's supposed to be king. If he's walking into the court, he's the one that's supposed to be calling the shots. He's supposed to be the king. But here he is in the court and what he's doing? He is playing the harp. He is the minister of music to the king. That's what he's doing. But what does David do? He does it. He does it faithfully. Because whether he's keeping smelly sheep or he's playing music in the court of the king, he's going to be faithful wonder why God chose this guy. Remember? God said, I look at his heart. He's got a heart to serve and to work. He doesn't always have to be in the limelight. Wherever it is, he's faithful. He's playing the music. Moffat translates... This passage and he says particularly he played for Saul so that Saul could breathe freely, so that he could find relief and release. He plays this soothing musical. Music can can certainly benefit the soul. No reason Martin Luther said that for every believer before the Reformation was completed, for every believer they needed the Scripture in their own language, and they needed a hymnal. The two things they needed. To be able to read the Scripture and to be able to sing. David had this unique ability. If you don't believe me, look at the book of Psalms. And later on, we'll talk about his worship and his uninhibited giving to God. He was faithful in the small, and God opens the greater. God values our small work. Those little things. God values them. Oh, and God uses them. Now, I've been trying to think about this. How could God use these things to prepare David? Well, certainly taught him humility through these things. He certainly was working on his character. But somehow, there's something about being a shepherd that must qualify you for leadership. Because how had God really properly trained Moses. Through the vocation of shepherding. He had been the prince for 40 years. But he goes out to the backside of the desert and he keeps sheep. 40 years. God chooses David. A shepherd here. Because there has to be some analogy right between leading people and leading sheep. There has to be. Of guiding, protecting, caring. Feeding. Feeding. David would lead the sheep of Israel. What would he do? He would protect. He would care. He would feed. He would encourage just as the shepherd did. It is also, I think, no coincidence that the term pastor in the New Testament is the same term as shepherd. The pastor, the shepherd, the leader. The one who is to help protect and love and care and show concern. God himself, David, will recognize as the true shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, he'll write. He's the one who will lead and guide. Jesus, Jesus will identify himself and he'll say, I am the good shepherd. Because there's something about shepherding. There's something about that that qualifies... You for leading and guiding. God used those years in the field with the sheep to teach him a lot about leading the nation of Israel. Music? Well, David wasn't going to be just a king. David was going to be a spiritual leader for the people. He was. He'll never take the place of the priest or he'll never, he'll, he'll never try to substitute himself for God's revelation through those areas. But you'll note that he is a spiritual leader. I mean, he's going to lead them in worship. He's going to, he is going to write all of these psalms. He is going to lead them. And God was preparing him in the field with the sheep. God was preparing him in the court as he played the harp. God was preparing him. So listen to me. God's got plans for you. I'm convinced this year, 2018, God has specific plans for each one of us. We need to recognize that, yes, and embrace it. But we need to wait while he works. Don't force it. Don't push it. Don't press your will against his. Just let him work these things out. But you work while you wait. You work in the little things. You take care of your jobs. Because somehow in that, God is going to prepare you for what he's going to do. For some of you, he's going to move into a supervisory role, maybe in your jobs. Maybe he's going to move you in some administration. Maybe he's going to keep you right there, but he's going to give you a greater influence over certain people. You let God take what he's doing now in your life and prepare you for what he's going to do in this plan. Wait while he works, but work Especially in those little areas. Work while you wait. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you that even in this narrative that has removed so many years from us, that you still teach us and challenge us. God, thank you for the folks who are here with us today in this sanctuary, in the gathering. Thank you for the plans you have for them. And God, I pray that you would show them, help them in the appropriate way, working in your time. Lord, how you will fulfill that plan. I pray you would help us be faithful. Keeping the sheep, playing the harp, whatever it is, the little things you've called us to do, help us to be faithful. beyond all, Lord, help us simply to be obedient to you. We pray it in Jesus' name.